Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. The word of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I was born into a Baptist preacher's family. My dad is a retired Baptist preacher. Uh, He retired not only from pastoring now, but he's retired from General Motors, where he worked for over 30 years. Then he got two other jobs from which he also retired. Um, But I was raised in the home of a country Baptist preacher. And there was something about that that always scared the life out of me. And what scared me was that from a young age, I had this feeling that God also was going to call me into the ministry, and I have to tell you, that was the last thing on earth I ever wanted to do. I just didn't want to preach. I didn't want to have to go through what preachers have to go through. I'm not trying to uh, incite a pity party for preachers. I'm just simply telling you, I didn't want to do that. I'd seen my dad. My dad was a hard preacher. Uh, he still is, but he, in his older years, he's not quite as hard a preacher as he used to. He was a hard Baptist preacher. And I saw him struggle every week, getting ready for a message, begging God for a message, studying and struggling and studying and struggling. And then on Sunday morning, he would get up and preach. And my dad preached hard. I never saw my dad preach, but what he didn't sweat. He was a sweating preacher. Not perspiration, mind you, sweat. And he would swing his arm. And when he did, I remember that sweat would roll off of his arm and it would hit the folks in the first, second, or third pews. That's the reason why in so many churches that nobody would sit on the first through the third rows. And I saw that. I... Uh, and even though I was a child and wasn't privy to everything that everybody ever said to my dad as a pastor or to my mom as a pastor's wife, 
uh, there were some times, even as a child, when I overheard some folks saying some things to him that they shouldn't have said. And that was at a time back in the 60s and 70s when, when people appreciated and respected ministers a lot more than, than they do uh, today. Today, people are, feel even more free to express their opinions and say things, which on one hand is a good thing, but on the other hand, it's amazing to me uh, what people feel free to say to ministers. So I didn't want to be a preacher. I did not want to be a preacher. And yet people would come up to me. I was 9, 10, 11 years old. And people would come up, even some of my classmates, and they would say, hey, your dad's a preacher, right? And I said, yeah. Are you going to be a preacher when you grow up? And I said, absolutely not. That would be no. I'm going to be a rock star and a millionaire, but I am not going to be a preacher. Not going to do it. And yet I felt this underlying drive, this burden that was like a big basketball-sized hairball in my gut, and I could not get rid of it. I couldn't sleep. I I, I had trouble eating, although I still made a way to eat. Um, But it was was really hard. 17, 18 years old, I'm I'm, I'm feeling God call me to, to preach, and I'm running from it with everything I have. And then in 1981, in May of 1981, I was, uh, I was enrolled at the University of Georgia. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, and part of it was running from God's call to ministry. I didn't know what I wanted to do. To give you an example, my first year of college was a year at Georgia State University, which was ca- catastrophic. I went from there to Gainesville Junior College for a year, a little over a year, again trying to find out what I wanted to do. From there I go to UGA and finally ended up graduating in 1983 and I was able to squeeze four years of bachelor's work into five years (laughs) because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I graduated from Georgia not really knowing what I wanted to do except for the fact that God was calling me to preach, and that was the one thing I did not want to do. Finally, in May of 1981, I'm, I'm at Georgia. I'm with some friends of mine, uh, uh, grade school, high school friends. We're rooming together at Callaway Garden Apartments in, in Athens. It's May, and I finally relented to God. And I said, okay, 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 I will do this. I remember leaving on a Friday from Callaway Gardens. I pulled out the drive, went past Beach Haven Baptist Church, that wonderful Baptist church in Athens, Georgia. And it took me at that time about an hour to get home. It takes a lot longer than that now because there are 30,000 times more people up there now. And so there's bumper to bumper traffic from Athens all the way to Cumming, Georgia. But it would take me about an hour. I left Athens and I do not recollect that hour drive. I don't remember going through Winder and Bogart and Carl and all those little rinky-dink speed trap cities and towns going from Athens to anywhere else. And they love pulling us students over and then giving us tickets because that's how they made their money in those little, those little towns. But I don't remember any of those stops. The first thing I remember after I leave Athens is pulling up to what was called Buford Crossing, which was a, uh, a stop sign in Cumming, Georgia. 
And I didn't remember anything about the trip because the whole time I was arguing with God while I was driving. It's worse than texting while you're driving, arguing with God. It's incredible. And so finally, I, I get home, and at that time, I'm dating Amanda. Uh, and we hadn't been dating that long, and I thought, because I've never mentioned to her what I was struggling with. I've never mentioned to her that God was calling me to preach, and I thought, part, this was part of my conversation with God on the way home. I said, God, my girlfriend's going to break up with me because no girl in her right mind would marry a preacher. And I knew it. I knew it. Thank God she was naive in those days. So she stayed with me. But I remember coming home and I changed clothes and I didn't speak to anybody at home, but I went straight from my home in coming to Amanda's home. She lived about 12 miles from us the whole time trying to figure out how am I going to let her know this because she's going to break up with me. I know she is. I was at the point of, of tears just waiting to pop out of my eyes. We get there and she could tell something's wrong with me. She said, well, what's, what's the matter? And I said, uh, you got to sit down, honey. I said, I feel like God is calling me to preach. I felt like it for a long time. And I said, I realized that if this is not what you bargained for. You didn't get into this relationship to be a preacher's wife. And I understand if you want to break up with me, whatever. And she didn't break up with me. Thank God she didn't. Uh, if she had it to go over again, she probably would. I don't know, but she didn't. And then she and I went back to my house. Our family came together, and all I could do was just squall. I mean, wide open crying. And through the tears, I'm trying to tell my family what, I, what I, I believed in my heart God was calling me to do. And that call on my life changed my life more than any other decision outside of salvation itself, more than any other decision that I've ever made. Jeremiah, the prophet, was called by God. And I think it's interesting that when Jeremiah starts writing his book, his prophecy, he doesn't start with his birth. And he doesn't even start with, here's, here's what my childhood was like. He starts off his prophecy, his book, with his call, with God's call on his life. Because Jeremiah knew how significant God's call on his life was. Now, it's important for us to think about Jeremiah's call because, now listen to this, God is calling you. He's calling everybody in this room. No, he's not calling everybody to preach, although he is calling some of you to. He's not calling everybody to be a deacon, although he's calling some of you to. He's not calling everybody to be a teacher, but he's calling some of you to do that. But let me tell you, whatever it is he's calling you to do, hear me again. Every person in this room is a person God is extending a call to everybody. And so I think it's good for us, those of us who are called of God, to look at Jeremiah's call and try to dissect it a little bit so that we can see how his call 
can be applied to our call. The first thing that I want you to notice about Jeremiah's call is that it was deeply personal. It was a personal call. This was not a shotgun blanket approach. Jeremiah's call from God was direct. It was personal. It was so personal that he called Jeremiah by name. In Jeremiah chapter one, one, verses two and three, verse two says, and the word of the Lord came to him, to Jeremiah, and it came, it came in, in, in a certain time. Now it says in verse one, the words of Jeremiah of Hilkiah Son of one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. And this is a specific. God is nailing down the specifics. It's not saying God called a guy out of the large population of, no. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, who was also a priest in the town of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord, not just anybody's word, but the word of the Lord came to him, to Jeremiah. Verse 4, and the word of the Lord came to me. And here's what it said. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah's call was deeply personal, nothing vague about it, nothing ambiguous about it, nothing that could be misunderstood about it. God singled Jeremiah out personally. And then he assured him, he says, not only do I know you better than anybody knows you right now, but he says, before you were even conceived, before I even formed you in the womb, before you were conceived, I knew you. And I had called you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, think about that. Before you were even conceived, I knew you. That doesn't mean that Jeremiah pre-existed before he was conceived. That's not what this text is saying. What this text is saying, though, that, and you can go back, you can can go back a thousand years before Jeremiah was born. You can go uh, uh, 10,000, 10 million years before he was born. And, And here's a statement that would have been true even 10 million years before he was born. God even then knew Jeremiah, knew everything that would ever be true about Jeremiah, knew it long before Jeremiah was even a thought. And the same thing is true of you. God knows more about you right now than anybody else anywhere. Those things that you keep to yourself that that are so private that you don't share with mom or dad or brother or sister or that you don't share with your husband or your wife or your mom and dad, those things, you know what I'm talking about because all of us have them. God knows those things and he knew them 10,000 years ago. God knew that about Jeremiah, and he calls him by name. Now, Jeremiah, if you read his, his book, which, by the way, is a little difficult to read because it's not in chronological order. But Jeremiah had a tough time. Uh, he had a tough self-esteem problem. He didn't think much of himself. 
Now that can be an advantage, but it can also be a disadvantage if you think literally that there's nothing you can do. Jeremiah didn't think he could do anything. Of all the priests in his hometown of Anathoth, he thought he was the least of them, could accomplish the least of anybody else in his family, in his priestly family. And so how amazing it must have been, how astonishing it must have been to Jeremiah that God called him. You may be in the same position. You think, nobody knows my name much around here. The preacher doesn't know my name. Even though I've told him 25 different times, he seems to struggle with it. The person seated closest to me doesn't know who I am. I'm not all that important. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what your last name is, what your salary is, what your bank account balance is. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or the language that you most commonly speak is. God looks at you and you are so significant to him that he has a specific plan just for you. And he's calling you personally. God's call on Jeremiah's life was personal. Second, it was specific. You see, God's not going to call you by name and says, all right, I want you to get up and just do everything everywhere. No, 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 no. God is going to be specific with you. If you will listen to him, if you will give him your ear and your heart, God will communicate with you specifically what he wants you to do. So verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah And notice how specific this call becomes. It's in the 13th year. That's pretty specific. It's not just during the the, the reign of Josiah, but it's in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And Josiah was the son of Ammon. They both were kings of Judah. It went on through the reign of Jehoiakim, who was also the son of Josiah, who was also king of Judah, even ran down to the fifth month, not the fourth month, not the sixth month, but the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah. And if that weren't specific enough, he says, and it came at a time when the people of Jerusalem had gone into exile. And so what we have here is a specific call on Jeremiah. The call came to him personally, Jeremiah, that's also also specific, but it also came at a specific time, the 13th year of Josiah, through the reign of Jehoiakim, all the way down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, at a time when the people of Judah had been taken into exile, exile being in Babylon. You don't get more specific than this. There was a specific time, a specific place, and a specific purpose. You are to be a prophet to the nations. You are to tell the people what I tell you to tell them. And I will also say, God implies to Jeremiah they're not going to like it. And I'll tell you why. Because people don't like the truth. That was true in 586 B.C. It is true in 2018 
A.D. We get an idea of what we think the truth is, and usually it will already agree with what we agree with because we have a habit of doing that. We'll only accept as true what we already believe to be true anyway, whether it's true or not. And as a result, the truth gets a lot more muddy and a lot more messy. They're not going to like it. You see, God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. What is a prophet? In our day, we have focused uh, obsessively over the idea of foretelling, that a prophet's job was to foretell, to predict the future. And there was some of that, but that wasn't even close to the most important thing that prophets did. The call of a prophet was not just to foretell, it was to forth. That is to speak forth God's truth to people in their situation. And more more often than not, it was designed, prophecy was designed to confront people with what they were doing and try to get them to correct or allow God to correct their misguided direction. It's still that way, by the way. But it's really hard because people think they're going in the right direction. Some of you think you're going in the right direction right now. And you just can't bear the possibility that you're not. A specific call, a personal call. And then third, it was an inescapable call. You see, Jeremiah, like myself, Jeremiah tried to escape God's call, but it was a, hear this, it was a waste of time. Some of you right now, you know in your heart God has called you to do something. You may even know exactly what it is God has called you to do, but for the longest you've been running, 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 running. Hear me. You will not escape God's call. It is inescapable. So Jeremiah starts throwing out all of his weaknesses. Verse 6, alas, sovereign Lord. You know what sovereign Lord means? It means that Jeremiah recognized the Lord God as all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-in-control. There's nothing he doesn't know and can't do. He recognized that, and then he turned right around and tells this all-knowing, all-powerful God, have you heard me speak lately? I don't know how to speak, he says. And have you looked at me? I'm too young, he says. As if God, this all-powerful, sovereign God, all of a sudden didn't know about Jeremiah's lack of communication skills or the fact that he was too young to do anything. But what Jeremiah missed was this sovereign Lord knew how old Jeremiah was. He knew Jeremiah's age better than Jeremiah knew it. And he knew Jeremiah's weaknesses and inabilities better than Jeremiah did. I can't do this. I remember Moses. Moses, the great man of God. God uh, gets Moses' attention with a bush that is burning but not burning up. On, on a Mount Sinai, and Moses, he, he gets closer to this bush to see this incredible supernatural thing that's going on. God calls to him, says, I want you, I'm calling you to go back to Egypt and, and lead my people out of captivity. So what does Moses do? He, he runs from God's call. 
He says, first of all, I have a speech impediment. I can't speak. God said, I'll speak through you. He says, second, uh, I, I don't, those people are not going to believe me. They, they don't have respect for me. I will empower you, God says. The third thing, uh, Moses says, I don't know your name. When they asked me who it was that sent you, I don't even know what to tell them. Who am I going to tell? God says, I am that I am. Moses giving excuses. But Moses couldn't escape God's call. Jeremiah couldn't escape God's call. You cannot escape God's call. Now, granted, you can say no to God. You can say no to God from now until the day of your funeral. You can say no to God. But you will never escape God's call, and you will never fulfill all of God's destiny and plan for you until you relent You submit yourself to his call and you allow him to use you. My dad, I I grew up in North Georgia in some uh, country Baptist churches and everything to them had to be traumatically emotional. Uh, Now, uh, I'm not saying at some points that wasn't good, it was, but I remember being in revivals in some of those churches and people would come down during uh, the invitation to kneel at the altar to receive Jesus as their Savior. And, and invariably, it was a very emotional, emotionally traumatic experience. You, you, most people were crying their eyes out when they came to the altar. And if someone came to the altar to receive Christ and they weren't crying or they were acting pretty calm, most everybody in, in the sanctuary privately doubted that they were saved. Now, they might say it, but they doubted because it wasn't traumatic. My dad's salvation was traumatic. My salvation was traumatic, although looking back, I don't think it had to be. His call to the ministry was traumatic. Mine was traumatic. My dad was running from God's call on his life. I remember, and, uh, I remember him telling me about it. And one night, while he was sleeping, he had a dream. And in the dream, he was picked up by something, and it was like he was floated, carried from his bedroom down the hall into our living room. Now, uh, some of you are not old enough to remember this, but there was a time when, when people died. You didn't go to the funeral home to view them. You went to the home to view them. The casket was brought in, and the, the body was in the casket, and they were in the living room, and people would come to your house to view this person. They used to do that years ago. And so my dad, in this dream, he's carried down the hall, floating down the hall. He goes into the living room, and he sees a casket open in our living room. And he is carried close to the casket. And this experience that my dad had was so real that he literally believes it occurred. Not just a dream, but that it literally occurred. And he was carried to the casket and looked in, and he saw the uh, body of his oldest child. That would have been me. And dad said he heard a voice saying, go preach. Now, Was his experience real or was it just a dream? Is that the way God works? Those are questions I can't answer. This much I know. It was the experience. That dream was the experience that put my dad over the edge enough 
in a good way that he surrendered to the ministry. My point here is this. You cannot escape God's call on your life. It is personal. It is specific. It is inescapable. And finally, it is empowering. And God will empower you at the very point where you think you are the weakest. What's this? Jeremiah 1.9. Now, where was Jeremiah's weak point? He said, I can't speak. I'm too young. So look at Jeremiah verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched, what? My mouth. And said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, the very place where you realize your inabilities and your inadequacies, I have put in you all that you need to feel those weaknesses and turn them into strengths for my glory. And and in in fact, if you look at the verb tenses, it wasn't God saying, right here, right now, I'm going to put my words in my mouth. No, it was this. I have already put my words in your mouth. You think you can't speak very well? My words are already in you. All you have to do is speak them. So you and I can run from God's call, and what we'll find is the very reason that we'll put up, the excuse that we put up before God to run from Him, God has already taken care of that weakness, that inadequacy, that inability by empowering you to do just what you think you can't do. Now God will call people to salvation first off. He wants every person to be saved. He wants every person to to receive Christ, his son, into your life. Second, he will call you to service. And then he will specify that service. But I want you to hear me again. I'm, I'm, I'm about to close right here, right now. God is calling you. Some of you right now, he's calling you to come and be saved. Others, you've already been saved. He's calling you to service. Others, he's calling you to a specific service. But don't go out of here and say, what the preacher was talking about today, that wasn't to me. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Let's pray. You're an amazing God, Lord. In spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our selfishness and our inabilities, you call every one of us to be a part of what you're about. You call all of us. And you know already, you have known for eternity all of our weaknesses, and you've already dealt with them. Our excuses are like vapor, they're worthless because you've already dealt with all of our excuses, all of our reasons. But Lord, there's something that you impressed upon me this morning, and that is this. That there are people in this world who will not know Jesus as Savior and Lord and will miss out on eternity in heaven if those of us you've called 
say no. Lord, there are people depending on us. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to think right now, what am I going to do this morning with God's call on my life? In Jesus' name, amen.